Welcome to Planet Geo, the podcast where we talk about our amazing planet, how it works, and why it matters to you. Hey, Chris. Jesse Rymank. How are you doing today? Christopher Bullheis, I'm excited, man. I'm Hold really? on, I got to mess with my microphone a second. I know you love that when I do it, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get click. myself situated right now. <laughs> there we go. Click it around if you keep you clicking. Do buttons, some clicking? That's really okay. the most fun when you do that. All right, what's going Jesse, on, Jesse? I'm I'm good. I'm excited about today. This is a it's an interesting thing we have going on today. We're going to talk about Yosemite National Park. Yeah, this is a great one. I'm I'm super psyched to think about Yosemite, and I've been thinking about Yosemite a lot recently. But before we do that, let's introduce ourselves briefly. You are Chris Bullheis, a nationally recognized earth science teacher from Michigan, my former high school teacher. I took, what did I take? Ninth grade earth science from you. I was actually in your classroom uh, on 9-11. I also took geology and a couple field camps, including a summer science field course from you when I was in high school back in the day, and uh, and we've become pretty good friends. Oh, wait a minute! Don't time. forget about your your independent study that That's you right. did with me too. So, quote unquote, independent <laughs> study. I was more independent than study, but yes, you know. yes, you were you lazy turd. <laughs> Yep. All right. So in your Dr. Jesse Rymink, and you know, it pains me to say it, but you're the doctor in the house. There so we go. I like that. Um, and <laughs> that's going to come me, through in today's here. episode. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to come through in today's episode more than most, I think. But anyway, yeah. Uh, you're one of my former students, you went on to get your undergrad at Hope College, and then you went to the University of Alberta in Edmonton, Canada to get your PhD. You did a postdoc at the Carnegie Institute for what, three years, Jesse? Yeah, three and a half, four years. Yeah. Yeah, three and a half, four years. Took you a while. Yeah. Um, yep. And then now you are a professor of geoscience at the Penn State University. And I was really hoping you guys were going to pull it out last night with uh, Ohio State, but nope. <sighs> nope. We're on a, uh, it's, yeah. you know, yeah. hopefully our jobs remain intact if the football team loses. <laughs> yeah, but. That's right. That's right. <laughs> no. Yeah, and uh, this is Planet Geo. We talk about all things earth science. We get to interview some amazing people, and we get to talk about really cool stuff. And this is, uh, I don't know, the fourth in a line of things about national parks. We love the national the parks okay. here. It might be, right? You'll, uh, yeah, we've done Grand Tetons, Yellowstone, Grand Canyon. Oh, we've also done Glacier, so this is the fifth That's one. That's right. Yeah, the fifth one. Okay, cool. So anyways, we, we're going to talk about, yeah, Chris Scottison, what, what are we talking about Yosemite for here? Okay, so when we first started talking about this idea of let's say, hey, let's do Yosemite, because I was just there this summer, spent a, a, you know a, a fair amount of time in Yosemite National Park. Well, you go to Yosemite quite a bit, and this summer was just the most recent out of that's uh, right, that's many right. Trips. Yeah, so I was really all fired up about this um, because this place is one of the most beautiful, iconic places on the planet. I mean, it is. It is just. I remember the first time going into the park. And it takes your breath away. It is so different from any place that I'd ever been before. Um, and so I started diving into and organizing like, all right, how are we going to talk about the geology of this amazing place? And I just couldn't come up with anything. There was no hook that just stood out. It was, it was really, I don't mean this in any kind of offensive way. And I'm shocked that I'm going to say this, but the geology was actually kind of, it was a little bit boring. I'm like, I, I tried working on this. I'm like, how do we, how do we make this exciting and so on? So anyway, I, I brought that back to you and you said, well, you know, there is a, there's an angle on this though, that, you know, somebody is full of granite, but 
there's a lot of debate on how this happened with current research. And so we started talking through that and then it became really interesting. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm kind of the exact opposite. I've actually never been to Yosemite National Park, hoping to go this coming summer. But I have a, a, a PhD student who's working on rocks from Yosemite right now because the location is such a classic place for studying the rocks that are exposed there, which are called granites, and we're going to get into. And it's really the focus of a lot of debate about, a lot of scientific debate about what the heck a granite represents. So the student, this PhD student is... Is this person doing like radiometric dating on the granites then? Like what is, what, what is this person trying to work out? Yeah, we're trying to work out sort of, um, what the granites looked like and how they formed. And some of the key things that we're going to talk about today are questions that hopefully, you know, Eric, uh, PhD student working here at Penn state will, will sort of tackle in a different way. Um, not so much geochronology, but a lot of geochemistry, a lot of sort of in the weeds geochemistry that we don't need to get into, but <laughs> interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Let's not do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one quick question then. So you want to go there this summer. Is that to do research and that would be a part of your research or are you going there with tests? Well, no, not unfortunately not with tests. She's too busy, but, uh, <laughs> no, this is, this would be research and fun. The, the benefit of my job is I get to pick places I want to go study and, uh, uh no. you know, <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, all right. So then are you allowed, how do you do, how do you sample? We can get research permits. We have you to can, apply, and you'll apply be able to, to collect the, some stuff then. Yep. We can apply to the federal government or the national park service. And usually they're, they're pretty, um, if you have a valid reason for it, they're, they're pretty open to that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Maybe you want to come along, Chris. I would love that. I'll, Hey, I'll, uh, I'll be your Sherpa. What do you need carried? There we go. We need a pack mule. Uh, you're as good as any, I think. <laughs> I, I'm better than most. So where are we going with this, Chris? Yeah. Let's organize what we have going on. So we're going to begin by talking about the formation of the granite and the current research and the debate, quote unquote debate. Okay. We're going to talk then about the uplift a little bit, just in terms of how the granite got to the surface. And then we're going to get into like the really interesting part of the geology, the part to me anyway, the, the interesting stuff, which deals with the glacial features, the exfoliation of the granite that is all over the place in Yosemite National Park. And then a little bit about the rockfall that is just ever present in Yosemite National Park. Yeah. And we're going to kind of spend a lot of time talking about this granite part. That's actually the rocks, like how the rocks themselves formed. And then the last couple of pieces are the landscape. You know, why does it look so spectacular? Basically, <laughs> yeah, right? wait, yeah. Why is it so pretty? Oh yeah, man. Yeah, it's yeah, amazing. That's right. <laughs> so, okay. All right. Well, let's go, Jesse. So why don't you go ahead and lead us into this debate about the granite and what's going on? Yeah. So the rocks in Yosemite Valley, the rocks themselves represent- Hold on. I'm going to interject one second. Okay. Yeah. And I'm going to apologize right up front to the listener because man, <laughs> uh, like- uh, you're sitting on the edge of your seat right now and you're going to nerd out on us. This is going to be a hard one for me. My job in this episode is to corral you. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully you got the leash in hand here um, yeah, I, because <laughs> I, you're going to have to keep me, keep me uh, from diving too deep. Yeah. Here. Okay. So okay. Let, let's frame it here. The rocks themselves, you pick up one of the rocks and that represents that, that rock composition is very common on earth. And it's kind of what makes earth unique compared to other planets in our solar system is this rock called granite. It makes up a lot of the continental crust. Uh, it makes, you know, forms in subduction zone settings like the ancient Sierra Nevadas used to be. And so the, the really unique to earth, they're really critical rocks to understand how they formed, but 
there's not a lot of agreement. And I want to say up front here, I don't have an opinion. I'm just going to try and just okay. present the debate here. And it's a pretty um, aggressive scientific debate in some <laughs> cases. Uh, you could go see people yelling at each other at conferences about this. I'm going to remain as agnostic as possible here. And you're you're entering into the fray, aren't you? Well, maybe as a wow. little side that's tack into a, the fray. I can't, this is exciting research, though. That's that's awesome. Well, we'll see. Um, so, first of all, you know, I think why this is not well understood, which is actually kind of shocking to me, is because of where these things form. I mean, granites form from magma. Okay. And magma is molten material that is like forming, intruding and cooling miles beneath the surface. So this is not a process that we can, you know, directly observe. Absolutely. And the rocks themselves, they look like they did that. They look like they crystallized from liquid down deep in the earth. The minerals kind of grow and interlock with one another. They make for really hard rocks. They're interlocking and overgrowing one another. They just kind of filled up the space. So, the, you know, imagine a liquid that cools and crystallizes. It just fills up the space that it's in. But as it's doing this, as it's cooling and crystallizing, the chemistry is always changing, right? I mean, if you think back to our Bowen's Reaction Series episode. Oh, yeah. Good shout um, out. This, Bowen's Reaction this, Series. Yeah, That's right on. Right on. Yep. You know, this order of crystallization, the order of melting, the order of crystallization, and actually both of those play into the story of the way these granites formed. That's exactly right, Chris. And because the tr in the traditional interpretation, we get these what are called zoned intrusions. So an intrusion is just a big batch of magma that comes up. And because of Bowen's reaction series, the idea is that the outside of those intrusions, the ones that cooled first, are a different composition than the inside. We kind of get more felsic, more silica-rich, lighter colored rocks on the inside and darker on the outside. Okay, real quick then, I want you to go back. What I th You just defined it, but it, it, it wasn't really clear. Like, what is zoning? Okay, you talk about a talk about a crystal, and what does it mean if that crystal is zoned? Yeah, so it's basically like a tree ring. You have stuff that grew, it started from growing on the inside, and then we have uh, this record of growth as it grew outward. And so you know, think of it like a tree ring, and you can think of it one individual mineral grain that grows that way, or you can think of it like a magma chamber. It actually happens in the opposite way. Think of a magma chamber um, as this big uh, I got an idea. Can I interrupt you here? Yeah, go for it. Like it's it's more like building a wall. If you're building a brick wall, okay? You start building the wall out of one color bricks. Let's say you start with red bricks and and then you you use up all your red bricks and now you have to go to yellow bricks and you so you're you're building the wall, but the wall is changing. Uh, its composition as you build it. And that's what happens with zoned crystals, right? The, the chemical composition is not the same in the middle of the, of the crystal as it is on the outside of the rim of the crystal. Exactly. And right? then in a magma chamber, it happens sort of the opposite direction. You start growing stuff on the outside because it's this batch of, of magma that intrudes big ball of magma sitting down in the earth. It crystallizes from the outside in because the cool stuff is on the outside. So it kind of the cool stuff is one color in composition. The inner stuff, the hotter stuff is, is uh, or the stuff that stays hotter longer is lighter colored in a different composition than the outside. So you get this zoning. When you bring that to the surface, cut it in half by erosion, look at that in a sort of map view, you get this bullseye, which is called the zoning there. Yeah, that's cool. So the way that that zoning happens is that the most primitive or the most primary, the, the sort of magmas that are most similar to their initial composition, start to crystallize first. 
and form on the outside. So they form this rind around the, the magma chamber and then it gets more quote unquote differentiated or more felsic or more evolved. Those terms all kind of mean the same thing, more evolved and lighter colored on the inside. So this kind of, as it's crystallizing, it's changing composition. The residual stuff is changing composition. Okay. I gotta, I have to interrupt you here. Uh, you said a couple things. You said a primitive or primary rock. What does a primitive rock mean? You can think of the earth as this big distillation chamber and the mantle is our starting material and the mantle gets distilled in one step to form oceanic crust, the, the crust beneath oceans, which is dark colored, which is called basalt that gets distilled again to form continental crust. So the second distillation step is going from, you know, stage one to stage two, it's enriching the continental crust in a whole bunch of stuff, just like a distillation thing. Okay, so it's going basically from mafic to more felsic, the more distilled it gets. Exactly. And we use the term primary or primitive to mean a more mafic rock or the starting composition. What it, whatever it started from, that's kind of primitive or primary. And then it, it evolves by this chemical distillation to the sort of evolved compositions. Okay, so again, if you go back to the Bowen's reaction series, if you take mafic basalt which is rich in iron and magnesium and you partially melt it then you will generate it a, a, a more felsic or an intermediate composition magma exactly that's what you're talking Exa about exactly okay yep so okay. that's a distillation gotcha. right. step in there yep so chris how, how did i mean the yeah. traditional interpretations of these zoned magma chambers are rocks like yosemite national park you know can you describe that yep yeah, because this is right in my wheelhouse. I mean, this is this is what I teach, right? And you're you're telling me that, hey, yo, this might be a a little bit off. Right? You're, you're you're changing <laughs> well, things up on me. So yeah, traditional interpretations are, and we've you know, Jesse, we've talked a lot about this. We just did an episode on volcanoes and how the way things are traditionally done sometimes is inadequate. And that same thing applies to what we're doing here. Traditional interpretations say that you have this big batch of magma. It came from way down deep. And we, when we say big, we mean freaking enormous. <laughs> We're talking like a hundred kilometers wide by like 50 yeah. kilometers long, uh, you know, and several kilometers deep. I mean, a huge volume of magma. Yes, correct. And so this batch of magma comes in, it intrudes the country rock. That's the rock that was there. And that rock then will be usually metamorphosed because there's lots of pressure associated with this, lots of heat, obviously, because we have a bunch of magma and it just cools slowly. Okay. And that's the traditional interpretation of the way that granites form. And then that single batch of magma does this internal distillation. So it, it starts out on the outer side. That's how we get this zoning pattern, this sort of dark stuff on the outside, lighter colored rocks on the inside on a huge scale, hundreds of kilometers long, a big zoned magma chamber becomes a zoned group of rocks like Yosemite so National Park. If I can just maybe paint a picture, if we were in the mountains then, and we found the contact between the metamorphosed rocks and the granite. And we're at that contact and we started walking away from the metamorphic rocks then toward the center of the granite, the composition would change. The color of the granite would change. And that's exactly what we see in Yosemite National Park in some way is you go from darker rocks on the outside to lighter colored rocks on the inside. There's something in the textures change and the minerals change. So there's a chemical difference across this, which is this quote unquote zoning in here. Now, this is a little bit problematic because 
there was a bit of a revolution that kind of started around about 2004. Um, there's a couple papers that were published that went and sampled the dark colored rocks on the outside, the light colored rocks on the inside of this huge zoned rock complex that is Yosemite National Park. So the outside of the park to the inside of the park, different rock types, they sampled those things and dated them using high precision geochronology. We talked about geochronology before. We Hold won't on. get into it too You much. are just talking a thousand miles <laughs> okay. per hour. Oh my gosh. All right. All right. Hey, let me hit the point. How much coffee have you had this morning? Uh, it's, like, it's holy just, crap. It's pure science that's got me excited here. <laughs> You're getting all revved up. I'm getting all nerdy. All right. Okay. All right. Let's, let's, let's pick it up now. Okay. Okay. You're right. right. <laughs> deep breath. Deep breath. <laughs> So the main point is that the outside rocks formed about 10 million years before the inside rocks. Hold on, say it again. I I just want to hear that again. Go ahead. The the outside rocks. So the outside rocks formed about 10 million years before the inside rocks. And there's a progression as you work from the outside to the inside and like the five rock types that are exposed there, they all have different ages and they span a 10 million year age range. So each one has a distinct age. One is like 92 million years old. One is like 86 million years old. One is like 84 million years old. The inside one's like 82 million years old. So what's the problem with that? The problem is, is that that 10 million years is way, way, way too long for this magma to sit there and you just can't have this magma chamber. It's too long for the magma to sit there and cool down basically. Okay. Um, is it though? Is it too long? Because our listeners and and me, we're sitting here saying, wait a minute, this forms miles beneath the surface. So this is really, really insulated. It's a massive intrusion. Okay. And it has miles of rock all the way around it. So this is going to cool off slowly. Like, is it really too long? Yeah, and uh, the answer is absolutely it can cool off slowly, but the most conservative estimates for a cooling down of a magma chamber like that are on the order of a million years, not 10 million. So this is like 10 times too long for even the most conservative estimates for how long a magma chamber like that would take to cool down. Okay, so what's the interpretation then? What's going on? What do they think? So the interpretation here is that this magma chamber is not one big magma chamber. It didn't ha- we didn't have 100 kilometers wide by 50 kilometers deep by uh, we didn't have this huge batch of magma sitting there and cooling down for a long period of time. Instead, it occurred in little pulses. So little fits and spurts of magma came into the system progressively over 10 million years. And so this is like a way more long-lived system and a way more sort of active active meaning like little little blurps of magma okay do you think then if this is the way it's gonna be interpreted and and this is then gonna change our thinking on these kinds of things right is that gonna change then a lot of other places yes exactly and it did and this was 2004 so this was a while ago people have gone to similar uh, location, similar zoned plutonic complexes like Yosemite done the same type of analyses and found mostly the same thing. These things take a long time. Do you have an example? Uh, there's one in Northern Italy called the Bergel intrusion that has taken a similar amount of time. Um, there's some in the Andes that have a similar type of thing. And people have actually gone and looked at the volcano well, the, the eruptive products. So this is basically Yosemite is the roots of an ancient volcano. And so people have gone to places like the Andes where there are actually volcanoes erupting and 
um, and they see the same kind of thing. These lavas erupt over 10 million years. And so the idea is that, yeah, this is a reasonable uh, assessment. So that's kind of the first scientific revolution in how these things formed. We didn't have a big batch of magma sitting there. We had what people call a magma mush, which is basically a bunch of crystals with a little bit of magma in between them. Okay. So you said that was really kind of the first round or the first thing that was going on and started back in 2004. So what's next then? That implies that there's some other thing that's come out of this. What is it? Yeah. So what's come out of this, that there's another, I would say revolution or hotly debated thing right now going on in, in the scientific literature. And this is, we know now that these rocks take a long time to intrude. Uh, but the question now is about the textures. If you take that rock and look at it, we said earlier that the rock looks like it grew from a liquid magma, that the minerals are interlocking with one another. You know, there's no space in the system. It's very massive. It's very solid, very hard. There's currently a debate about whether those textures are actually magma and magma flowing around. Like if you have a big bunch of magma with some crystals in there and it flows, the crystals will become oriented. In some places you see that orientation, but there's a whole nother group of people who argue that those textures are not a magma flowing. You can generate some of those textures by having temperature differences, big temperature gradients, or big compositional gradients and that it's all actually what we call solid state. Everything's happening as a solid mass. There's no, there's not a lot of liquid in the system when this stuff is going on. So it's a little bit in the weeds there, but they're arguing about, you know, whether these little pulses of stuff coming in were actually magmas that were flowing around or whether it's just fluids flowing through rock and doing a lot of alteration basically. Okay. So basically, and, and cut me off if I'm wrong, but if you take like these, these hot superheated fluids and circulate them through hot minerals, it can cause changes and it can cause some melting too, like localized melting. Exactly. So it can cause localized melting or more importantly, it might not even do melting. It might just be a totally solid state mineral transformation. So it could chemically overprint the mineral without ever dissolving it and making a magma. If that makes sense, we're, we're in the weeds with some chemistry here, but yeah, let's, let's, we need to stay out of that. I think a little yeah. bit, but let's, uh, I want to ask you though. So coming out of this discussion in a traditional geology class, we're taught that with an igneous rock, the number one factor that controls the texture is the rate of cooling. Is that changing? No, at a general level, that remains true. Of a salt okay. So let me explain grain. what I meant yeah. just for the listener a second. So what I mean is basically Igneous rocks, the minerals grow larger if they cool slowly. Minerals need time to grow. So with slow cooling, you get a coarse grained or the minerals get big enough and they interlock with each other, but they're big enough to see without magnification, unaided eye. And, and rocks that form from lava, which are outside, they cool much faster. The, they cool faster. The minerals then don't have time to grow and it, it stays what we call a fine grained texture or an aphanitic texture. That's, is that going to change? No, that's not, that's not going to change too much. I think it's more an argument about the big crystals and whether the big crystals can grow sort of in place basically, or whether they need to grow from a magma chamber. And I have to 
add a qualifier in here, Chris. You know I love my qualifiers. Is that out? I'm not in this debate. Uh, there is a debate. I'm kind of painting two end member sides of it. There's a bunch of people in the middle. Two sides don't agree. Um, Aren't you going to enter the debate though with well, your research? And kind your... of. We're going to try and stay okay. on the side. And um, <laughs> I, I think you know both sides are. are I I can't yeah. wait to go to a conference and listen to you speak and get yelled at by somebody else. <laughs> I, I think I'll, <laughs> I'll try and stay out of that. Maybe send a student up there to get yelled at. But um, going to a conference and okay. watching people yell at each other about this is quite fun. Oh, it's too. it's I, really I, interesting. I'll I tell you what, I've seen that. I've seen that at GSA before. Oh my gosh. Like it, it gets heated. It's it gets fun. heated. Yeah. It gets heated. Yeah. Lots of ideas. And I think, yep. so let me just kind of, so I know that I'm in the weeds here with the, with the science of it and I'm kind of excited about it, but it is important because we're talking about temperature differences here in these systems and what these systems actually look like. And there are lots of what are called IOCG ore deposits, iron, copper, and gold deposits that form above these type of magmatic systems with a lot of hot fluids circulating around and concentrating gold and copper. So there's a lot of important deposits that occur in these types of locations. And so that understanding how the magma system is working and what that is, like what the magma system looks like is really important for understanding how those types of deposits are formed as just one example. So there's some actually like take home sort of real world, um, you know, meaning behind this or, or interest. Yeah. Because if you have hot fluids flowing through this rock, so these precious metals like, you know, copper and, and gold, they're pretty soluble in hot, salty water. And so as they flow through these like vast volumes of rock, they're selectively dissolving these, these elements then. And then on the margins, when, when it cools off and the conditions change, they get concentrated and precipitated there. That's what you're saying. Exactly. Yep. That's exactly right. Suddenly the conditions will change in that fluid. Boom. They dump out all those interesting and important metals, and then we can go mine them. Uh, efficiently and economically. So, well, there we go. Hey, listen, Planet Geo at its best right here. And what are we doing? We're explaining like these these super important resources and how they form, and that then shapes where we go look for this stuff. Absolutely. And so we're talking about the roots of that system, right? Like where is the temperature coming from? Where are the fluids coming from? It's all related to how these granites form. So when you're walking across Yosemite National Park, which I've never done, I can't wait to go do, but you can walk across so you can see the rocks. You can see these big, massive white feldspar crystals. There's a big debate about how those form. Like that is not well understood at all. And I think it's a really interesting and important thing to understand that like we don't really understand those minerals in some ways. That's really cool and really exciting. We'll have to go, Chris. We'll, we'll have to go to Yosemite. Right. I can't. We, hey, Jesse, I'll tell you what. That would be an absolute riot. Okay, um, let's let's do it. Let's do it next summer. Let's uh, <laughs> we'll go sa- collect some samples. We'll bring the we'll we'll buy a little uh, remote mic or a little uh, you know on-site mic that we can buy. We can record a little episode while we're standing on the rocks sampling. Let's do it. I got the mic. Yeah. Okay. I'm all That'll set. Be great. I'm ready to go. All right. Hey, so let's transition now. Okay. So we talked about this. That's the, the interesting part of the, the, you know, the geology of all of this just <laughs> massive granite that you get in Yosemite. So this granite forms really deep inside the earth, miles below the surface. So after it cooled and, and hardened and crystallized and did what it, what we just talked about, then it has to get brought to the surface. So, you know, much more recently, anywhere from what, what, what Jesse, 25 to 35 ish million years ago. Yeah. Somewhere around there, you see, we've seen estimates of 40, we've seen estimates of 25 or even 10. So somewhere around that, that many million years ago, this gradually then gets brought to the surface. And so all of the 
metamorphic rocks that were formed due to this intru- these intrusions that happened, most of those metamorphic rocks are gone. All of that country rock that kind of like encapsul- encapsulated this this intrusion. And all the volcanic rocks that were erupted on top of this thing, the ancient volcano system that these that we're seeing the roots of right now are all gone as well. Most of it is gone. There's there, just, you have to really be looking for this stuff in order to find it. So it's all been removed. Yeah. And I want to make one extra point here is that the stuff we're talking about with the Yosemite National Park applies to most of the Sierra Nevadas there, all the way down to like Mono Pass and Mount Whitney. They all have the same kind of composition of rocks because they're the same roots to this ancient volcanic system. Yeah, it's it's absolutely uh, unbelievable in size. It's hard to comprehend. So, all right. The granite then eventually gets, it's exposed at the surface. The overburden is gone. It's still going on today. They're still being uplifted, you know, and this is a, a slow but continuing process. And and so then we can transition into a much more recent part of the geological story of, of Yosemite, and that's the glacial stuff that happened. Oh, and the glacial stuff, I mean, this is like... Uh, the type locality for glacial features. I mean, maybe the Alps are probably the same thing, but it's beautiful. And the glaciers really sculpted the landscape and made it what it is today. Right, Chris? So what are the most prominent features of glaciers flowing through here? Yeah, the features with this place, they stand up and they smack you right in the face. I mean, if you if you're standing anywhere around Yosemite Valley and you don't recognize a U-shaped valley, then something's wrong. You know, it's it's really really clear. <laughs> and that's a pretty self-explanatory term, a U-shaped valley. It's a valley that's shaped like a U, and the important point here is that a glacier cuts a U, a river cuts a V into a valley. So a river cuts down at a really narrow part, makes a V, a glacier scrapes away the sides as well. And so it cuts a big U. Yep. It basically glaciers, these, these Alpine or Valley glaciers, what they do is they're going to widen and straighten a river valley. And, and it's just so obvious. These valleys are immense, uh, in, in width and in breadth and everything else. And they're straight. And so that's the, you know, that's one of the things that is just striking. And the other thing or another thing that's really striking with Yosemite are all of these hanging waterfalls that you get like Bridal Veil Falls, Yosemite Falls. They're all over the place. And so it, what Chris explain to me the hanging, why, why a hanging waterfall? What's going on there? A hanging valley is, well, imagine this, uh, this whole landscape is just full of ice, right? And, and you have these, just like with rivers, there are tributary rivers that these small rivers that contribute their water to the larger system. You have the same thing with glaciers. So you have big, uh, valley glaciers and, and smaller valley glaciers and the small valley glaciers merge in with the big one. Well, small glaciers carve smaller you know, and, and not as deep U-shaped valleys. So when you melt all the ice away, you have this, this glacier, this valley glacier, this U-shaped valley that gets truncated or cut off by the main trunk. And, and it's just hanging above the main valley. That's right. And the difference between river tributaries, which kind of flow into a, you know, a small river flows into a big river and they just kind of merge. It's relatively 
Um, there's not usually a waterfall, not necessarily a waterfall there, but with a U-shaped valley, because the big trunk of the glacier is cutting the sides so much more, it basically, the small tributary flows in and it flows into only the top. So you have this huge cliff, this vertical cliff on the big part of the glacier. On the valley wall of the big valley glacier. Um, yes, exactly. Because that part of the glacier is so much bigger, cuts so much deeper and also cuts out the sides as well. Yeah. So now all the glaciers are gone. The rivers have returned to the valleys, right? And so when these rivers flow over the lip of that cliff, it forms these spectacular waterfalls. And, you know, that's, that's one of the main attractions of the place is all, the, all these waterfalls that are just absolutely amazing. So Stunningly beautiful. I can't wait. I can't wait to go see them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. You, you know, you have um, also a lot of horn peaks that, that form and, and horns form when you have these like several glaciers that are moving away from a central high point, they're scouring this out. And, you know, Jesse, basically glaciers make mountains beautiful, you know, it, <laughs> yes. non-glaciated mountains would not be as angular and carved and jagged and cut up like they, like these are. And, and so that's what these horn peaks, uh, like I think of uh, Cathedral Peaks up by Tuolumne, that part of the park. It's just, uh, they're amazing. Just unbelievable. Yeah. So, so those are one so more. Some, well, I want yep. to talk about one more. Okay. Because there's a famous place in Yosemite. It's called Clouds Rest. And Clouds Rest stands, when you're on top of this mountain, you're higher up than Half Dome and you have a great vantage point of Half Dome off in the distance. Okay. And it's an erect which is this uh, sharp knife-like ridge that separated two valley glaciers that were basically um, close to parallel to each other. And so they, as they scoured their valley walls, they left this like narrow, sharp knife-like ridge and it's called Clouds Rest. And it's so, it's amazing. Uh, so cool. We went there this summer up to the top of Clouds Rest and nice. uh, Bella, my daughter, her boyfriend had never... Like you talk about getting thrown into the lion's den. It's like <laughs> your first mountaineering experience with the bull heises. Um, yeah. It's a pretty intense group of people. <laughs> so, so anyway, we're, we're just walking up this, this, you know, there's no room to fall or anything. You know, it's, you don't, you have maybe two or three feet, right? That's all you have. You're pretty exposed, right? Just, you're you're exposed on both yeah. sides. Jenny's walking around with her phone out, you know, <laughs> and Bella's boyfriend, Brandon is just absolutely petrified. He's got the old. <laughs> shuffle going on <laughs> he wanted to just get down on his hands and knees and crawl he was so yeah, scared so it, that's the exposure on a rats can be uh quite intense it is Very it's intense. amazing yeah. um yeah so that's it's another just amazing feature the gym and then all the lakes almost all the lakes in yosemite are glacial so that means yeah. that they basically are water that has filled up places where glaciers were eroding out basically. Yeah. Right? They so plucked these... out the bedrock and left these depressions, you know, and, and it's really kind of a cool thing, uh, this evolution of the landscape then, if you will, because uh, you know, these lakes then that are glacial in origin, which is not, you know, th this didn't, this wasn't too far in the past, right? Geologically speaking, this is a blink of an eye. So these lakes now are filling up with sediment, you know, and see that, and you can see that if you, if you know a little bit about the geology as you're walking through this backcountry there, you can see these wet areas that, that, that used to be a lake, but it got filled up with sediment. Very cool. All right, Chris. So those are the landscape features, which are dominated by glacial features or rocks that have been eroded out by glaciers. What other sort of spectacular geological things can we see in Yosemite? 
Yeah, I, one of the just most striking, like this is textbook uh, example of it, it's called exfoliation. These exfoliation joints. Okay? And this is and, a weathering feature. This is rocks breaking down on the surface. Right. And the process ties right into what we've talked about already. You know, that granite forms really, really deep and it has all this rock around it. Okay. And then it, that granite then eventually gets uplifted and exposed at the surface. But all of that overburden, that weight of all that rock has gradually been removed. And so if you take this confining, squeezing force and you remove it over time, then what does the granite do? Well, it expands. Okay. It, it, the stuff that's at the surface is expanding. But it's expanding differentially. Like, I want to see if this makes sense. Yeah, I think it, it kind of relaxes, I guess. It's under pressure. It's under this intense pressure. And then it just kind of uh, relaxes. Yeah, yeah, it does. It wants to expand. But the granite that's deeper down is relaxing, but not as much because it has granite on top of it yet. It still has that confining weight on it, right? So you get this differential expansion and the surficial granite Go ahead. Let me, let me interject like a, a thing here because we're talking about this doesn't necessarily make intuitive sense to a lot of people, but imagine, you know, putting a big rock on your chest, right? I don't know, put a, put a, a steel weight or something like that. You're in the weight room, put a big plate on your chest, right? You feel that. Now, if you put more on, you're going to feel that more. That's a lot of pressure, right? So underneath of the earth, these rocks are under a lot of pressure and that's not intuitive all the time. So the deeper down you go, the more pressure these rocks experience, the more what are what's called confining pressure. They are squeezed by the weight of stuff above them and the weight of stuff around them as well. So when you bring rocks from down deep up to the surface, that pressure is released and it's released kind of gradually and the rock relaxes down. Right. But it's rock and rock can't just expand. It can't just like take a deep breath. You know, you inhale a lot of air and your chest kind of heaves, right? That's what the granite is trying to do, but it can't just do that because it's solid, brittle rock. So it's building up this pressure, this expansion, and it builds up, builds up, builds up. And eventually it just cracks. It spalls off. But it's building up tensional pressure, which is it's trying to relax, but it can't like it can't just, as you say, ooze out. It has to break. So it relaxes by breaking off little slabs, right? And those slabs are really beautiful and they add a lot of texture to something like half dome, right? Where you can see these like layers kind of peeling off. It's like an onion ring, right? You're peeling off the onion ring slowly as these layers get relaxed and break off. This has actually been documented just outside of Yosemite National Park at a place called Twain Heart Rock. And it is these, these people were just, Oh, is this, it, this can, video that was, that was yeah. circulating YouTube a couple of years ago? <laughs> this is, is amazing. I it forgot really about this. Is. They got it on their cell phones. We were walking around on this rock, this outcrop, this granite, right? And they heard it start to snap, crackle and pop. They just kind of oh, like man. this, just kind of, you know, and so they get their phones out and they start recording this. It's, it's actually pretty loud. Like it's like, Oh, boom, boom. It's a bam, violent, bam, boom. but, but I mean, no, but what was leading up to it though, this kind of like, you could feel it, it was moving. It was, it was about ready to break, right? It's kind of like if you take a stick and bend it before it breaks, it does this kind of snap, 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 you know, and you know, it's about to break. And that's what was going on with this rock. And, um, so anyway, it, exploded it exfoliated right in front of them and they got it all they recorded it all so it's a it's a violent thing i mean it is like 
bam, and there's dust everywhere, and the rock is actually breaking. I mean, huge, like huge flake of rock is breaking yeah. up. If you Google exfoliation and Twain Heart Rock, you just can't miss it. It's a minute long. That's right. And the exfoliation also uh, makes cool climbing routes uh, in Yosemite as well, right? Like a lot of the cracks that people climb in Yosemite are all exfoliation joints. These cracks in the rock that are uh, that pieces are exfoliating off of the central part of the rock unit. And any image that you see of Half Dome that looks like, like a layered onion, you know, and that's, that's all exfoliation joints. Um, and you just can't get you can't get away from it in Yosemite. It is literally everywhere, these exfoliation joints. And it's it's kind of cool too. You know, if you're walking across this, the surface of an exfoliated joint and you take a hiking pole and you like kind of bang it on the rock, you can hear that it sounds hollow below the rock. Yeah, yeah. That's super so cool. cool. So yeah. that's exfoliation and that's everywhere in Yosemite. What about the last one, Chris, here, a uh, rock fall, which kind of goes hand in hand here a little bit. With it it kind of does. Yeah. There's so much rock fall in Yosemite be, and a lot of it is because of these exfoliation joints. The rock is literally detached, right? Well, if you take detached rock, put it on a steep slope and then add in water. Okay, whether you have water that lubricates the rock or whether you have water that is freezing and thawing, freeze, thaw, freeze, thaw, uh, this, this kind of ice wedging thing can kind of pry the rock loose and it slides down slope and it, then it comes off the cliff of, you know, and it lands in the big U-shaped valley below. That's a rock fall. The very common in Yosemite, actually, I've never witnessed a rock fall in Yosemite, but there is a rock fall on average one every five days. Wow. That's, and these things are aggressive when you hear that. I mean, this is rock, huge amounts of rock falling straight down and hitting the valley floor and it reverberates around. And yeah, I've, I've seen some, again, there's videos. Yeah. Or, again, or, if, um, yeah, if you Google rock fall in Yosemite, the amount of video clips that will show up is truly amazing. I mean, it's a, it's a very common thing. And these last two exfoliation and rock fall and really glacial features as well. This is the, you know, one side of this battle on earth between erosion and tectonic forces. So tectonic forces are trying to push mountains up. Erosion and weathering are trying to knock them down as much as possible. And so these these last two, exfoliation and rockfall, are really representations of this. The environment, the atmosphere, the surface environment trying to knock down mountains. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good point. And one of the coolest things, I also want to touch on this with the rockfall, these slabs come cascading down into the valley below and before they hit ground the amount of air that is being shoved out from underneath the slab of rock is enough to snap off these massive trees oh um, really it's oh wow that's cool oh yeah it is unbelievable it, the the wind that comes so off the from wind them. from the wind escaping wow that's really cool Okay, that's interesting. So you see like a rock fall with it. It looks like a bomb around it. Like trees are knocked down around it because the air got compressed and shoved out of the way. That's super cool. It's one of the ways that they assess rock fall uh, potential hazard is by looking at the trees and how old the trees are. They're able to say, well, this area, it doesn't have a lot of rock falls versus an area like this, because look at all the trees that have been snapped off. And, you know, so they're go kind of going back in time. Now that is totally cool. That's a cool thing. I did not know that. That's awesome.
Very All cool. right, Chris. Well, I yep. think that's a wrap here uh, for Yosemite National Park. And all I want to say is I can't wait to go. Uh, it is. Uh, you'll never forget the first time. It's uh, it's just one of those things. It's an emotional experience. I don't know how else to say it. It's, it's uh, incredible. It's amazing. I'm excited yep. to go there. I'm, I love the science that's going on there. Uh, it's a really exciting place. And, and I think just walking around, you can look at the rocks. You can look at the glacial features. It's, it's just one of the places where geoscience, the processes of geoscience are right in front of you. They're, you cannot escape them, and they're so dead obvious, right? It's a textbook right. place for many, many reasons. Yep. You got it. All right. Well, hey, that's a wrap. All right, man. So that's a wrap on Yosemite. And actually, tune in next week because we're going to talk about some hiking recommendations, right, Chris? You, you've been there a lot. You've hiked all over Yosemite. And uh, we're going to go through places certain hikes you can go to see these features that we've just talked about so tune in next week for that all right sounds good you can find us on social media we are at planet geocast and please do like subscribe give us a review and share with your friends we would really love that